I mean, everything is like basically a learning experience, right? Mm -hmm. And without the failures, it's like you don't learn how to do things like the right way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or you can chalk it up to luck. Hi, I'm Adil Akhtar, founder of Psionic, and you're listening to Gut Talks, double G U double T. <laughs> and whoever was listening to the audio only, I recommend you go on YouTube to see what happened here. Hi everyone, Maria here, and welcome to season two of God Talks, WGUWT, a podcast focusing on business and tech for good, experience design, and gut feelings. I'm Maria, designer, strategist, and venture builder running Gut, WGUWT, a design and innovation hub. I decided to launch God Talks as the pandemic hit with an ambition to educate, put some karma on the board, and feature entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors who deserve recognition and have inspiring stories to tell. Feel free to email me if you need me, maria at god.com, W-G-U-T, or check the links in the show notes. If you haven't noticed, there are no sponsors for the show, but you can still support God Talks, and it's super easy. Just leave a five-star review and a comment. And follow our social media channels on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get started. Our guest today is Adil Akhtar, the founder of Psionic, the first or one of the first lightweight accessible, connected, and more. So we're going to deep dive into that. ARM, or bionic ARM, a patented technology to help change lives. And this is quoted as well. So I took this from one of the first user testers of Psionic. And it's also been labeled as a Chicago moonshot startup. And it's also covered by Medicare in the U.S., Uh, and I must say that Psionic is actually turning science fiction into reality, blurring the lines between humans and machines. So I don't know. What do you think about this intro? It's super brief, but who are you? <laughs> yeah, that sounded great. And so this is something that I've wanted to do my whole life, right? Build bionic limbs that were accessible to everyone. And so my parents are originally from Pakistan, and I was born in uh, the Chicago suburbs along with me and my brothers. And I was visiting Pakistan when I was around seven years old. And that's the first time I met someone with a limb difference and she was missing her right leg using a tree branch as a crutch. And that's what inspired me to want to go into this field and develop advanced bionic limbs that were affordable and accessible. And this leads me actually to this. <laughs> and so I understand that this came kind of from a gut feeling and experience. Did that stay with you all your life until you went to university because you started going to med school and then you shifted to do this? So how did that play out? Yeah, you know, so it was kind of a gut feeling the entire time that this is where I want, what I want to do is work on uh, bionic limbs. It's just that the way I would go about doing it has changed over time, right? So when I went to university for my undergraduate studies at, at Loyola University Chicago, the original plan was I was pre-med and I was going to become an MD And I would work with patients with amputations and potentially do surgeries for those amputations as well. 
And then it was my second year of undergrad that I took my first computer science class and I absolutely loved it. I loved everything about programming and engineering. And I realized that if I just became a straight up MD, I wouldn't get to do any of that cool stuff that I was learning in my computer science classes. And so I wanted to figure out a way to merge my interest in both the engineering side of things and medicine. And right down the street in downtown Chicago is a hospital. It used to be called the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. It's now the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab. And they're the number one rehabilitation hospital in the U.S. for the last 30 years. And they made giant breakthroughs in mind-controlled bionic limbs. And it was the perfect mix of computer engineering, electrical engineering, physical medicine and rehabilitation, neurology, neuroscience. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. And this is the perfect combination of, you know, my interest in the clinical side of prosthetics as well as engineering. And so that's kind of what steered me into this direction of bionics. So let's set the scene a little bit just for the audience. So what is the bionic arm? What, what makes it so different? Yeah. And so I, I've got it right over here too. And so our bionic ability hand, that's what we call it, the ability hand. It's made for people who have lost their hand either below the elbow or above the elbow or at the shoulder. And then they, it can connect with external elbows and wrist rotators uh, made from other manufacturers. And there's a couple of things that set it apart. So you control it with your muscles and that's, that's fairly common, but it is by far the fastest bionic hand in the world. And so uh, when I move these fingers, you can see how fast they're moving. And depending on how much you're moving your fingers, you can also like control it very slowly too. So here's very slow movement. And then as you flex your muscles more, it can go faster. And then you can do uh, various grips with it as well, right? So here's what we call a key grip, or um, if you're holding a credit card, or if you're giving someone a thumbs up, this is for pinching right over here. This is a, a tripod grip that we've got. And so, um, yeah, and here's like a power grasp. So if you're grasping like a mug or a, a suitcase or anything like that, then you can use this grip. So it's faster than everything else. This thing can take a beating. So I can like smack this, it survives the impact. Uh, our patients, the number one thing that we heard from them like over the last like five to seven years of doing this is that their prosthetics break. And it's not from them doing crazy things. It's like they accidentally like hit their hand against the side of a table. And because of how they are made, they end up snapping right at the joints. So we made our fingers to be very flexible, like our own hand is. And because of that, it can actually withstand those impacts. And we've done things like push-ups, breaking boards, martial arts style with it. Uh, most recently, we put it in a dryer for about 10 minutes and it was, it tumbled around and, and the hand was totally fine. Can't say the same thing for the dryer, but the hand definitely won that fight. So it's also the first hand to give users touch feedback. And so when I touch the index finger, the pinky, and then the thumb, there's a vibration motor in here that will vibrate whenever you touch them. So it lets the user know when they've come into contact with an object, when they've let go, and how hard they've been touching that object as well. And so we had a patient who was an 80-year-old triple amputee, had sepsis and lost his uh, left hand and both of his uh, legs. And within um, minutes on his first try, he was able to grab a hollow eggshell while blindfolded without being able to see it. And he didn't crack it because of the touch feedback that's in the hand. And so all those advanced capabilities are unique to the ability hand. It's the first one on the market to have those features in particular. And the best part is, is that we got it covered 
under Medicare in the United States. And so what that means is that before only 10% of patients could afford a, an advanced bionic hand that has similar features, not all of them, but similar. And now we've got the most advanced bionic hand at a price point that Medicare covers, and that expanded to about 75% of patients can now afford a bionic hand in the US, an advanced bionic hand like ours in the US. And that was very important to us to make sure that we built the most advanced device and make it accessible, uh, more accessible than ever. So that was your initial purpose, I guess, yes. also. Yes, um, absolutely. And I just want to talk a bit about the tech here. How easy or fast is the adaptation time? Yeah, and it depends on the patient and the, the way you're controlling the hand with your muscles. I mean, we've seen patients like within minutes get it. And then other times we've seen uh, patients like take up to like a week to kind of build up those muscles or like a couple of weeks to uh, rebuild the muscles in their forearm. And it depends on like how active you, how physically active you are, how much you've been using your, your residual limb on, on your amputated side. But for the most part, it's been pretty quick. It's been a pretty quick adjustment. I guess people can get back to doing day-to-day -day activities, right? With, yes. Uh, we've seen some use cases are feed, feeding a child and yep. doing some gardening and stuff like that. So Exactly, exactly. And you have the, the latest one because as we're recording this, this is, we're in October now and last month you released like the wrestling side of it. Well, what's the story? Like what made you go into this specific yeah. use case. Yeah. And so we wanted to highlight some of the amazing things that our, our hand is capable of. Right. And, and so we were thinking like our, our hand is tough and durable. Right. So what could we do to like kind of, you know, show that, that kind of strength, right. That it can withstand like a, a ton of force on it. And so we we're like arm wrestling. That's a nice, fun showcase that I think everyone would be really interested in, like arm wrestling against a bionic hand. Who doesn't want to see like a, a robot arm wrestle, right? And so one of our one of our users, Dan St. Pierre, he is the 2018-2019 um, U.S. Para Triathlete National Champion. And uh, we're, we're fortunate to be uh, able to work with him. And, and so he was using our hand to start working out. And so I challenged him to an arm wrestling match and the very first time he beat me and then I had beaten him in the clinic. And so we had to have this epic showdown. And so we got the arena at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign where they play basketball. And so we got the entire stadium and we had this um, epic showdown between me and Dan. And unfortunately I lost in that rematch, but it goes to show that how much strength the ability hand has and how much force it can take when I'm putting my entire body weight against it. Yeah, I'm going to put the link actually in the show notes because I watched this video and I think it's worth checking out. It's, it's really, really resistant actually. And yeah, I mean, how is he today? Like, is he using it now? Yeah, yeah. And he's primarily using it to work out and go back to the gym. And that, nice. and that was something that he told us that you know, he didn't really have something that could work well for him in mm -hmm. those situations. And now that he's got this hand, the fact that, you know, he can like, you know, do kettlebell like curls on his left side and, you know, bench pressing and things like that, that has been a, a game changer for him. This leads me to the next one, actually, based on what you're saying, are you offering customization as well? Like, can people place orders for specific use cases? So we have customization in terms of the colors because this is actual carbon fiber that's on here. And because it's carbon fiber, we can candy paint tint it like a car. 
And so we've got like, you know, a hot pink version, a red version, a blue, a green, purple. We've even got like a, a camouflage version, like a army style, like military style for our, our veterans um, in the works as well. And so there's customization there. There's two sizes. So there's um, a small and a large. The smallest 50th percentile adult female size and the largest 50th percentile adult male size. And then the socket itself. So we make here, I'll, I'll pop this off so you can actually see it. So we make the hand itself and then the electronics that go inside the socket for the residual limb of the patient. And the clinician will get our hand in the electronics and then they'll mold the sockets customized to their residual limb. And the patient then can ask for, you know, any pattern they want. If they have a t-shirt that they want to like kind of have the uh, socket look like, the clinician can make that happen. If they want a carbon fiber look, if they want any crazy color or anything like that, they can customize it that way. And that way it gives, you know, the user ownership over their arm and, and how they look and how they're perceived by everyone else. And that uniqueness is really important to us and the, and the users as well. So that's in terms of hardware and in terms of software, are you heading into this direction somehow to see like, I don't know if they want additional superpowers or <laughs> yeah. something different. Yeah, exactly. And so um, in, in terms of the software, um, there, there's several things that we're able to do, right? So, um, so it's USB-C rechargeable. So the same way you plug in your phone, you can plug in your arm, but you can also charge your phone from your arm. So that's one of the superhuman abilities. When you put it on a wrist rotator, you can rotate your wrist in 360 degrees. So that's a, a, another superhuman ability that, that we give our users. And, you know, the fact that you can hit these fingers like with a hammer, like that's something. And the cool thing about the software in particular is that like your phone, we can actually update the software over the air. So there's an update. You can just go into our app and over Bluetooth, just update your hand and then you will have new functionality. Like we've got like a gesture recognition system in there. We've got new grips we can add and just smoother movements over time, like faster speed, stronger grips. Um, those are all coming in the future. And those are all things that we can just update through the app and they don't have to like bring it in or anything. So how does it work? Is it like a subscription model or is it like- The updates are completely free. So yeah, we just go through their insurance that, that very first time. And then mm -hmm. yeah, all the updates going from there are free to them for life. So at the moment you're in the US, when are you gonna expand worldwide? Yeah, we're hoping to do that by mid next year. So mid 2022 uh, will be available across the seas, yeah. Okay, and that would be like direct to consumer or through partners, how, because I, so, I don't know if it would be covered by insurances in other countries. Yeah, yeah. and so in places like Europe, they've already got clinicians who work with like, you know, uh, uh, national insurance and, and things like that. In developing countries, we've got plans to set up a nonprofit organization that works in conjunction with Psionic, and then that would accept donations to subsidize the cost for those users. And we're hoping to, you know, spread the word with these videos of like, you know, arm wrestling and doing all these crazy cool things. And if we can get a lot of um, viewers and people watching them, then, you know, they can also donate to the cause and get people who need a hand across the world in an ability hand. Yeah, you're touching on uh, one of the questions I wanted to raise. Actually, I, I also read on your website that obviously there's a big market and there are 10 million people worldwide that are missing a hand. And this is according to the Polsky Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the University of Chicago. I wanted to ask beyond the nonprofit that you're going to be setting up, is there kind of a, um, a sustainable business model or program or a social innovation program within the company? 
to give access to those people, not just through donations. Yeah. And so we're working on that. And so there's some ways we can do that by reducing the cost that it takes to make our hand. And we're always flexible with the kind of business models we're doing and um, what might work in the future. And so it could be something in the future, like for every sale that's made here, then it, it subsidizes the cost of one um, overseas. So kind of like a, a Tom's shoes. Tom's shoes, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> like, like a model like that. And those are things that we've always considered. We first have to get our CE marking before we can go mm-hmm. overseas. So that's our first priority while we kind of think through these different models that we're working on. And then, you know, there's like maybe a light version of the hand that's even more cost-effective to make. So that's the potential option as well. The only thing is on that front is that we want to make sure that everyone has access to the best available technology. And we don't want to, I mean, because the people in developing nations are, are the ones who need it the most, right? And if they don't have access to, you know, the best technology out there, that always puts them at a disadvantage. So we want to be able to get them the access to the latest and best technologies as well. And so we're partnering with other uh, organizations too. One is um, called the Range of Motion Project. And that's kind of one of the, how we got our start as Psionic too. We went down to Ecuador in 2014 and uh, we had a, a 3D printed hand that was three times the size of a normal human hand and wires going everywhere, plugged in breadboards, plugged into the wall, et cetera. And our patient, he had lost his uh, left hand 35 years prior due to uh, a war between Ecuador and Peru. And he had actually been able to make a pinch for the first time in 35 years with his left hand. And that's, that moment was when we realized that, you know, we wanted to make everyone feel that exact same way. Everyone deserves this kind of technology, right? So partnering with organizations like the Range of Motion Project, they can give us access to resources in those countries and like, you know, talk to the governments and helping subsidize the cost of the hand in those areas. And so there's a lot of different strategies we can take here. And that's kind of the exciting thing, right? To figure out what actually works in in all of these situations. Yeah, it's very challenging because beyond, you know, just finding the people giving access, resources and accessibility, as you were saying, but also infrastructure. So if it's constantly connected to the cloud and so on, there are already challenges with regards to education. And in this case, yeah, how to keep this arm working all the time if they don't have this access. So hopefully this can take off. But as you said, I think each country will be different also and be a challenge of its own, especially in remote areas. Like I said, that's part of the thing that makes this so exciting, right? Is figuring out those challenges. Just also another parenthesis, you've been all over, (laughs) over the place, social media, you know, media covering you all the time, covering what you guys are, are working on. And this is how, you know, I came across you and Sionic, basically. How are you coping with this? Uh, so this has been, you know, kind of something we've been building towards for like the last like six, seven years to, to kind of finally get this to the level that we wanted to be in and really make a huge splash worldwide with the kind of technology that's out there right now. So we're actually really excited to, you know, get this in front of as many people who can use it as possible. So it's, it's been really a blessing that we've been getting a lot of coverage and we're, we're excited over for the next like, you know, six months to get even more coverage worldwide for the, a lot of the stuff that we're doing. Let's go back a little bit to the lab. <laughs> it took yeah. you like yeah, yeah. nine iterations or something like that, right? Yeah. To, to get the product where it is today. What were the challenges you went through, like from taking it from the lab 
out there. Yeah, and so you know what? I actually have, um, let me grab this here real quick. This is the very first hand that we had ever made right over here. And you can, you can see there's, a, there's a, quite yeah. a bit of a difference, right, between um, this guy on the left and like this, this hand that I have on the right. And so this was fully 3D printed. It was based off an open source humanoid robot by, uh, made by a French designer. And it was called the InMove humanoid robot. And we modified it so it was just the arm and then we controlled it with our muscles. So when we first set out to do this, we were fully 3D printing everything, but you can see this is, this is super fragile, right? You give yeah. this to any user of a, a prosthetic hand and they're going to break it within minutes of, of, uh, of them using it. And so that was one of the biggest challenges that we had faced was that how could we make a hand that was still very low cost, but more robust than the really expensive hands that are out there that are injection molded and custom machined and, and, and all of that. And so coming from a research background, so this was all happening while I was doing my PhD in neuroscience at the University of Illinois. And we looked to the literature, the, the research out there and to see what was available. And there was a growing community for soft robotics. So these were um, robots that weren't made with traditional like rigid materials, but soft materials that are like your own body. So like silicone and rubber. And so what we learned was that instead of 3D printing the fingers, what we could do is we could 3D print molds and then inject low cost silicone and rubber into those molds. And that's what makes our fingers flexible and compliant like a, a natural hand is. And by doing that, we were actually able to make our hand more robust than a lot of the other hands that are out there, but also manufacture it at a lower cost than using injection molded materials. And so those are a lot of the challenges that we face. Like how could we, given our constraints on our budget, how could we still make something that was better than everything else? Ad break. No, not an ad. But as you may have noticed, this show has no sponsors, but you can still support Gut Talks by leaving five stars or a comment on your podcast player and like, share, and follow the social media channels of Gut, W-G-U-T-T. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get going. So are you manufacturing in the US at the moment? Yes. So in our, in our offices in this building is- Oh, in your offices. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And in terms of business also, you were obviously bootstrapping, right? At the beginning, and then you raised some funds and you had grants and so on. How was the journey in terms of fundraising and how challenging and stressful was it? Yeah, you know, it was tricky. And then it's always a roller coaster ride. Like anytime you start a startup, it's always mm -hmm. going to be like a, a roller coaster ride. And so to give an example, we spent the summer of 2017 in um, Shenzhen, China. And it was me, my, my wife, who was like six months pregnant, our, our seven months even, and like our one and a half year old son and like three of our employees in like a small, like high rise in Shenzhen. And we were rapidly prototyping the electronics in the hand. And that's where we found our, our motors that we use currently. And then we manufacture everything else in the United States. So we get them, our motors from there. And then we do all the carbon fiber, all the silicone molding, all the fabric, all the final assembly here in our offices uh, in the lab. But we ran an Indiegogo campaign in 2017, you know, trying to get 150,000 and we only got 7,000 or like six, six to 7,000 from this, right? And we basically at the end of that year had about $200 left in our bank account, right? 
And that was like a tipping point for the company. Like it's either we get money at this point or like we're, we're done, right? And we had just gotten a grant from the National Science Foundation. And the, the following week in, the, in January of 2018, we now had 200,000, like $200 in our account. And that was more money than we had ever had before. And so it was just like this whirlwind roller coaster of like, you know, the company is about to die. And then like, then we're, we're doing better than we ever had before, right? And it's being able to um, adapt to those situations, right? To have the, the grit to like continue on through those situations that really has helped us survive, right? And thrive um, as a company. And so before we got those grants, we had bootstrapped a lot of it through um, like by getting like, you know, $500 here and there from like the university and like through the like uh, accelerator programs from the uh, University of Illinois as well. And after we got our first grants, then we decided to raise a seed round. And, you know, it, it's interesting because every investor is different, right? They all have different like things that they're looking for. Many of them were like prosthetics. Why would you do that? The market isn't as big as virtual reality, right? And, but the thing is, I went into this not to, you know, make like a huge ton of money. I went into this for social good. I, I went into this to, to build these bionic hands so that people can have them. So, I was not going to pivot to, you know, a virtual reality company just because, you know, the market size was bigger. I wanted yeah. to make sure that the work I was doing was actually going to have a huge impact on the people who needed it. And building a hardware company is, is really tough. And also it depends. Some investors just don't want to invest in hardware. That's right. <laughs> right. So how did you manage to go through all those iterations of the product actually in you know, it took time because R&D takes time also, yep. but you did a lot of iterations. So how was the whole experience here? Yeah. And, you know, so our first five prototypes, I think we spent a total of maybe $5,000 over the course of like three or four years. And so that is wow. like for, a hard, for hardware, that is yeah. like a ridiculously <laughs> yes. small budget, right? And, and that's, that's kind of what I was saying. Like we had that constraint of like, we don't have a budget. How can we build something that's better than everything else? So even to this day, like our R and D costs itself are very low. Most of our costs actually just go towards um, like salaries and labor. And that's one of the um, great things about, like, you know, being part of this company is that we always have this mission in mind that we don't want to build something that no one can have access to, right? We want to build something that's actually affordable and people can use. And so it forces us to think in different ways and be creative to actually build something that's unique and no never been done before at the price point that people can afford. And uh, you're obviously collecting data, right? Through at least there is data available. Let's put it that way. How are you using it? Let's say generic data. How is it helping you to, to understand more about the human body to help you even improve more or maybe create other you know, parts? Yeah. And so as far as the hand goes, I mean, knowing how often we're using like grips, for example, like particular mm -hmm. grips throughout the day, like how, how long the battery is lasting, those types of things, that's super helpful for us to know. And so our, our battery lasts about like eight to 10 hours on, on a typical usage. And so it's like a full day. And then because it's USB-C charging, you can charge it from zero to hundred percent in an hour. And that's been very useful for our, our patients. And then because it's also USB-C, you can have a portable like battery pack on you, and then you can just charge it. Like if you're out camping, you don't need to have have like a, a plug for the wall. But for example, knowing that like power profile, that 
is directly applicable to elbows, knees, ankles as well. And so that way, when we shift over to make an ability leg in addition to an ability hand, we know like what the nuance is with like how many batteries we should use, how much power these motors are going to need that we're going to be using. And so that has been super helpful. So it's going to be an improved experience for everyone by knowing, by getting these metrics on like, like battery usage and how often you're using your grips and like uh, how, how you're using the hand throughout the day. And this arm actually, and hand, they're full of technology. Like there's lots of components inside, right? And you have like nine sensors, 30 sensors, I think something like that. Yeah. So up to 30 pressure sensors in all the fingers. Yeah. Uh, Only the fingers. Okay. Yeah. So that's for touch sensing, right? And then we've also feedback the position of the fingers too. So we've got six of those sensors as well to to tell us where each of the motors are. So five for um, flexion and extension, and then one for the wrist or for the thumb rotator as well. And so I guess that would put it at like 36 sensors that we've got there. And then this one has an additional sensor for really getting accurate positioning. So 37. And we can stream all of that information over Bluetooth. And so we have researchers who are using this, our hand, and they are doing things like brain implants and spinal cord implants, right? And so when you touch the fingers here, they can stimulate areas of your spinal cord or your brain and it'll feel like it's actually coming from your hand. And what's great about that is that our hand was built for systems that are available now, like a vibration motor, like your phone, but also when these even more amazing technologies come out of research with these brain implants, like Neuralink with Elon Musk, they're doing something right. And it'll be ready for those applications when they're out in the next five years as well. Nice. Okay. So you're already, yeah, you're playing in today's playground, but also in the next five to 10 years, right? Exactly. That's going to happen. So, but pure, like really science fiction, going back to what we were saying before. So. That's right. <laughs> I have another uh, just question, actually, it's just because I know of someone. Is there a possibility or is there a plan to build in the future, maybe an arm? You know, you know, some people have lost the ability to use one of their arms and hands. But this one would not work at the moment the way it is. So is there a way it can be like a glove or something that allows people to reuse their... Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the, the motor control technology that we have in the hand is also applicable to exoskeletons or, or orthotics, right? So for people with paralysis, we could make a version of this that would go around like a glove. And then and speaking of those brain implant things I was telling you about, right? If you can interpret from your brain directly what the motion that you want to make is, then we can send that to the motors and then have the hand or the glove help you move your hand, right? And so that being said, we needed a focus uh, and and we've been getting that question a lot over the last seven years. Like, can you do legs? Can you do uh, exoskeletons? Can you do all that stuff? And the answer is yes, but we also need to get something out of the door, right? Um, So we needed a focus and our first focus was the ability hand. And now that, you know, this has gotten rolling and we know how to commercialize the technology that we've been developing, when we move to, when we shift towards making an, an ability leg and exoskeletons, it'll be much more accelerated because we know that process, right? We, we know how to get the FDA registration. We know how to do the CE marking. We know how to do like all the documentation to make sure that like the prosthetic or the orthotic that we're developing is proper and like quality controlled and all of that. So it's going to be a really exciting next uh, five to 10 years for sure. Yeah, it's, as you said, actually, taking it from a lab to commercialize this so, so different, actually, so challenging and a roller coaster, as you said, too. And looking back, is there anything like you can recall where like any moment where you now think that you should have done something or this particular thing differently? 
Ah, you know, that that's always a tricky question because I mean, everything is like basically a learning experience, right? Mm-hmm. And without the failures, it's like you don't learn how to do things like the right way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can chalk it up to luck, right? And so, you know, the Indiegogo campaign, for example, that that didn't go well for us, right? I mean, I could say that, you know, we should have done things like completely differently on how we did that, right? But then we also learned that, you know, it's very difficult to fundraise, right? And it's an iterative process. And we had to hone our stories. We had to look at different channels and avenues towards getting funding for this project that we were doing. And right now, you know, one of our focuses is on developing a community, our community of users, our community of like enthusiasts who are really interested in this technology with the arm wrestling video that we put out there a couple of weeks ago, just getting a ton of people just excited and interested in our technology. That's really what we're trying to uh, be doing over the next like six months to a year and build that following so that we can get more people in these hands and also get it to the people who can't afford them. And this takes me because it looks like you want to work forever on this. <laughs> Do you have any exit strategy or anything like that at the moment? You know, we're always open to whatever. I mean, one of the things that I've learned is that we can never really predict the future, right? If we knew COVID was going to happen, right? Then then we would have planned a lot differently than uh, how things went, right? And so because of that, adaptation and grit are always important, right? And so we're always open to any sort of like either exit or we keep building this thing. Right now, my focus is primarily on building this thing and building the brand and just having fun. I mean, that's the most exciting thing about this is just how much fun we're having. Like, you know, doing things like arm wrestling and board breaking and pushups and and like like these crazy things that, you know, a, a lot of our users never thought that they would be able to do. And now that they're able to do it, I mean, that's the reason why we're doing all of this is for them. Yeah, and you have a team now, you're like 25 people or something. Yeah, like that, yeah. Right? So we, yeah, we've been growing. We've been growing quite a bit. And it's exciting to see that growth as well over the years. I mean, because we started as, you know, like two or three people as I was like a graduate student. And then like, we just kept building our expertise. And now, yeah, we have like a whole slew of like mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, like computer scientists, like marketing people, salespeople. It's really been exciting to see it grow. Awesome. And I have one more um, question because as the more I look at it, but again, I'm just inviting everyone who's listening here to go and check the YouTube video <laughs> to at least see it and check obviously the website and everything else. Is there another use case where the arm can be used as a self-standing piece to test some other products, for example, like for another market, not just uh, users who actually need it for their own body. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so um, we've had several like sales and, and, and partnerships that were in the works with companies who are putting it on um, industrial robot arms, uh, mm-hmm. for example, and then they can do things like teleoperation where they'll wear like a VR glove or something like that. And then like when they move the fingers and the hand will remotely move the fingers on this giant robot arm. And those can be used for things like manufacturing or like, you know, robot surgery or things like that in the future. So there are definitely applications there as well. And we have the same API that are the programming interface that we built on here for researchers and prosthetics, it's the same that the robotics researchers would use as well. And so it's the nice synergy that we have that we can develop 
something that works for both of those market segments while we still keep our focus on helping as many people as possible through prosthetics. This is taking me to another place, actually. Is it hackable? Like, can someone hack someone's I think, I think I think our Bluetooth has encryption on it. And, and you know, as we as this starts to like, you know, grow, we're going to put more more measures in there so that you know you can't do that. But I mean, right now we have an app for it that you can download and then you can like configure the, the app through there. And I mean, you, you'd just be able to change grips and things like that, right? So it's nothing like super malicious that you could really do with the hands. But like I said, the Bluetooth is encrypted. The chip that we got, it has uh, encrypted communication on there. So we should be okay in that regard. Well, what's the world you dream of? You know, we're heading with this is basically seamless integration between machines and humans, right? And so our, our tagline is redefining human, right? And the reason why we, we say redefining human is that by having things like sensory feedback in the hand, studies have shown from like Johns Hopkins and, and, and other universities that by giving people like sensory feedback and prosthetics, we're actually rewiring their brain into thinking that their hand, robotic hand, is actually part of them. And that's wild, right? I mean, this is not something you were born with. It's a, an external machine that you've incorporated into your body schema, right? And that's kind of where we see this, this future heading, right? What, what does it mean to be human? Do we know? Like, if we're able to incorporate robotics into our own perception of, of ourself, then we've redefined what it means to be human, right? And so a lot of the future technology is going to be towards more invasive things, like I said, brain implants, direct connection to your bones um, with the prostheses. They've actually been doing that in Sweden and Australia for a while. We've been working on procedures to connect your tendons to the fingers themselves. And so that, that way you can control it from your muscles directly without having electronics in there as well. It's powered by your muscles. And so these are all like, you know, these amazing new technology that we, we're developing that'll be available hopefully in the next like five to 10, 15 years. And that's definitely where this is heading with this seamless integration between humans and machines. Cool. Thank you for this. I don't know if there's anything you would like to add. We didn't touch on, if not, where can we find you? So you can uh, go to our website at www.psionic, that's P-S-Y-O-N-I-C dot I-O. And you can find our videos there. You can go to our YouTube channel. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have all, all the social media and that's at Psionic Inc. So that's P-S-Y-O-N-I-C I-N-C. And yeah, follow us on our social media and check out the arm wrestling video. It's a lot of fun. Cool. And one last question. Yeah. When you started your journey at university and so on, did you know that you wanted to have your own company and start this? Like going back to the seven years old you? You know, absolutely not. I never intended actually to start a business. That was never in the cards. And so the original plan was to do the MD, right? Like become a, a medical doctor mm -hmm. working with patients with limb differences. And then the, that shifted towards getting an MD and a PhD, right? With the PhD being engineering focused and the MD then still working with patients. And so the idea would be that I would see patients like one day a week, and then the rest would be doing research in an academic setting. And then it was when we took that trip down to Ecuador and we met the patient and he was able to make a pinch for the first time in 35 years. That's when we realized that if I stay in academia, this just ends up as a journal paper and as a university project. And that's the end of it. We want everyone to feel the same way that our patient wanted. The only way to do that was to commercialize the technology. 
And so that's when Psionic was born. That's when we started like learning about how to uh, make proper like business models, do customer discovery, like really find the pain points, manufacturing, scaling, and figuring out all of those problems. And it was basically like learning an entirely new language, right? Because I've had this like clinical background, this like engineering background, but not necessarily a business background. And so learning that has just been exhilarating as well and an amazing experience. So no, I did not initially set out to um, start a business, but you know, the way I talked to my um, physiology professor at in the medical school and we were having dinner and he was telling me, he was like, Adil, you know, you will have an impact as a medical doctor, right? And it'll be an, a very important impact, but it'll be local, right? It'll be wherever you're practicing. But through psionic, you can have a global impact. And that really resonated with me, right? I didn't want my research to just go to the wayside. I really wanted to make sure that it was going to make a difference in people's lives. And so that's, that was the best course of action. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Awesome episode with Adil Akhtar. Not only we spoke about the business side of building a tech startup out of Chicago and an impact-driven startup, we also spoke about building the product itself and taking it out from the lab. I suggest everyone to check the links in the show notes and check the Gut Talks YouTube channel to see the ability arm in action. Thanks again for listening. You are listening to Gut Talks by Maria Matloub. To support the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with anyone who could benefit from listening to these stories and experiences. To continue the conversation, join the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time.